Pastor Tom Keller makes a great observation about healing. But maybe most practically, most significantly for us is to try to always remember that every single time we recover from an illness, it should move our hearts to stop and express gratitude to God for his healing us. Like I said, if you die of an illness, there will only be one that will take you out. But through your lifetime, you may have hundreds of illnesses you're going to be healed from. Every one of those healings is designed to bring honor and glory to God. So when you feel better, don't say, boy, I feel I'm, I'm feeling better today. Say, praise God, you brought healing. Hello, it's time to study the Word with our Bible teacher, Pastor Tom Keller. Today he begins chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. In this important chapter, Jesus declares perhaps one of his greatest I Am statements. He resurrects a man who has been dead four days, and the religious leaders begin planning to actively seek his death. There is a lot happening here, and Pastor Tom helps us understand it all. Hey, we are in the book of John this morning. Our story is concerning the raising of Lazarus, a huge story in the Bible, raising him from the dead. Now, this is a watershed event in the life of Jesus because from this point forward, the religious leaders strategize furiously on how to kill Jesus because in large part of this event, and these next words that I'm going to read are the defining a moment that occur after, after Lazarus was raised from the dead. John 11, verse 47. After he was healed from the dead, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together, the Sanhedrin. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was a high priest at that time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. Don't you realize that it's better for you that one man should die, Jesus, for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed? This was the tipping point, the turning point. And so that will be one of the outcomes of this very public, astounding, and visible miracle, the healing of Lazarus, because it is going to result in the strategizing of the religious elite to try to kill Jesus. So let's dig in. Verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, some say $16,000 worth, and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, a little bit of background here. We're told that Lazarus and his two sisters live in Bethany. Bethany is located just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, on the eastern slope, about one and a half miles from Jerusalem. Today, this Palestinian town is named El Aria, taken from the name Lazarus. When in Jerusalem, 
Jesus used Bethany as his home base just as when he was in Capernaum. Uh, he used Capernaum when he ministered in the area of the Galilee. And this is why the Gospels contain numerous references to this town, Bethany, and it is why Jesus likely spent this whole week, the evenings, during this, his final week of his life, sleeping in Bethany. Lazarus is abbreviated Hebrew name taken from Eliezer, which means God has helped. That's a fitting name for what he's going to go through, isn't it? God has helped. Tradition says that the exact location of Lazarus' tomb was lost during the period of the Muslim rule, which began in 649 A.D. However, in 890 A.D., a tomb was discovered in this town, this tomb, bearing the inscription, quote, Lazarus, four days dead, friend of Christ. Emperor Leo VI had supposedly taken Lazarus' bones and transferred them to Constantinople in 898 A.D., and his resurrection is commemorated each year on October 17th. Also, according to tradition, sometime after Christ's resurrection, Lazarus was forced, we were told, to flee Israel due to rumored plots on his life, trying to get rid of the witness, and moved to Cyprus. There it is said that Paul and Barnabas appointed Lazarus to be the first bishop of Kilian, present-day Lord Nasa. This is the church of St. Lazarus in Cyprus today. Tradition also says that Lazarus was 30 years old when this story took place in John chapter 11. And tradition also says that Lazarus lived an additional 30 years, dying at the age of 60, dying a second time, being buried again. A little anticlimactic the second time, I guess. And John tells us that Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Commentaries suggest that because Mary is listed first in verse 1, that she is probably the eldest of the sisters. Several commentaries also suggest that Lazarus was the youngest of the three, but they offer no reason for that conclusion. And yet, numerous commentaries make that same point. And verse 2 says that this is the same Mary who poured very expensive perfume over Jesus' feet, which will turn up in chapter 12. And these are the same Mary and Martha of Luke chapter 10. If you remember where Martha was obsessing over the huge meal she was preparing, and as she was complained to Jesus that her sister Mary just sat at his feet, oblivious to the workload that she had. And as you know, in that story, Jesus famously replied to Martha, chapter 10, verse 41, Luke, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We're going to see that these attitudes show up, these character traits show up in our story today as well. But now their brother is very sick. In fact, he's near death's door. Verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. 
So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So when Jesus and his disciples received the news that their dear friend is in a perilous condition, Jesus did nothing. He waited two days before departing. Now, why did Jesus not respond to the request of these, his dear friends? Well, verse 4 explains it. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this, so that Jesus, so that I will receive glory from this. Now, note that Jesus says, in, in this instance, in this instance, this illness, the cause of this illness is to bring glory to God. It's the same as we saw back in John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind, where we read this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. Listen, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him, so that God could be glorified through his healing. And as we said back in John chapter 9, someone has said that all illnesses can be broken down into one of four basic groups. Number one, there is an illness unto death. Some of us won't die from illnesses. Many of us will. There will be many illnesses that we will be healed of. There will be one that we will not. Only one. Only one will take you out if you're killed by an illness. And so there is an illness unto death. Number two, there is an illness on the chastisement. Some illnesses are a consequence of our sin, our choices. Alcoholism is an example. Failed livers. Psalm 38, verse 3 makes this point. It says this, Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. Listen, my health is broken because of my sins. So it can be because of sin. Number three, there can be illnesses attributed to Satan. He can cause illnesses. We find that clearly in Luke chapter 13, verse 11. He, Jesus, saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been double-bent for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight, caused by Satan. And then finally, number four, there are illnesses designed and sent by God for the glory of God. And maybe within that, there might even be two categories. A, God can allow a continuing illness to accomplish a greater, a higher good. We know that was true of Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says this, even though I have received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. So God allowed this continuing illness in Paul to accomplish a greater good. It's a possibility. Or B, there are illnesses, as this one in our story today, as in the story of the man born blind, where the purpose of the illness is to bring glory to God by way of healing them. John chapter 11, verse 4. 
But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, the million-dollar question is, can we tell which of these that we're going through when they occur? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes maybe, most times no. Job's being stricken with boils was ultimately for God's glory. We know that. He did not when he was going through it. The woman bound by Satan for 18 years didn't know that it was sent by Satan. But conversely, Paul did know that his thorn in the flesh was from God, and he even knew why. So the practical question is, what do we do with all this? Well, practically, when we get sick, number one, obviously go to God. In prayer, ask God for healing. Number two, go to doctors. You know, this is why there are some fringe churches that don't believe in doctors. They believe God's going to heal their child, and this is why babies die of burst appendixes because they won't take them to a doctor. That's insane. Number three, consider going to the elders of the church to be anointed, according to James chapter 5. Number four, consider that Satan might, just might, have a hand in it and deal with that by way of spiritual warfare. And number five, consider that God might have a greater purpose and plan in it. But maybe, most practically, most significantly for us is to try to always remember that every single time we recover from an illness, it should move our hearts to stop and express gratitude to God for his healing us. Like I said, if you die of an illness, there will only be one that will take you out. But through your lifetime, you may have hundreds of illnesses you're going to be healed from. Every one of those healings is designed to bring honor and glory to God. So when you feel better, don't say, boy, I feel I'm, I'm feeling better today. Say, praise God, you brought healing, right? Philippians 4 verse 6 says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Listen, and don't forget to thank him for all his answers. When some of you come up to me and tell me that we prayed for you and you're, you're feeling better, you're healed, I will usually say, let's pray about that. And I thank God for the healing right then on the spot. I think that's how we should train ourselves. Every time you get healed, see that as an opportunity to give glory to God. Thank him for that. Can we try to remember that? Okay, little homework. Every time we recover... And I believe this is exactly what Jesus is working on in his delaying coming. John 11, verse 7, finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Well, there are two things here. Number one, this clearly shows that Jesus was not in Judea. In fact, it says after two days he left, he got there in four days, making the case that he was coming from uh, Bethany near Jordan, and the other, uh, along the Jordan River. And secondly, the disciples are aware, keenly aware, that the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. Now think about that. As Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem, does he shrink back from going to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to be crucified there out of fear? No. Do you ever think about Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem, knowing that his crucifixion is a week away? 
and through foreknowledge, knowing what that pain is going to feel like in advance, and yet still pressing on with an iron will toward Jerusalem. Incredible. Incredible. Verse 9, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. It's interesting, the Jews divided each day from sunrise to sunset into 12 equal parts. So the length of an hour depended upon the time of the year because days are shorter and longer. And I suspect this talking about nighttime, that Jesus is pointing to the fact by foreknowledge that his death, of which the disciples are referring to here, will transpire in large part in the shadowy, dark hours of the night. In the garden, also, and the midnight trial in the home of Caiaphas. So their daylight trip to Jerusalem cannot be the end that they fear. And then Jesus adds to this comment rather cryptically by saying this in verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, here's an important truth that highlights a difference between how we see people and how God sees people. We see all people historically from the beginning of time that we know of as either alive or dead. God sees all people from the beginning of time as either alive currently or sleeping. Jesus tells us that in Luke chapter 20, verse 37. He says, but now as to whether the dead will be raised... Even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. Hear this, for they are all alive to him. And so it is with us. For those who have died in Christ, they are saved, they are in heaven, they are awaiting their final resurrection body. We read of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Speaking of the rapture, which could be today, get excited. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from their graves, and together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? Amen? So encourage each other with these words. And so we have a temporary body. When we die and go to heaven, we will get our final resurrection body at the time of the rapture. But for the lost, they also will arise out of their sleep as we find in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. Speaking of the lost, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. 
and death and the grave are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the lake of this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, you've received Christ, was thrown, if you didn't receive Christ, was thrown into the lake of fire. So in the same way, people, when they die and go to hell, they have a body in hell, a physical body, but it's not the final placement. Their final placement takes place when they're transferred to the lake of fire, which takes place in Revelation chapter 20. And so Jesus' assessment that Lazarus is only sleeping is true. From God's vantage point, all men are sleeping, awaiting that final resurrection. And that is the accurate assessment concerning every person that you ever knew died, lost, or saved. They are sleeping, sleeping, awaiting the final resurrection of either the lost or the saved. In heaven, in a temporary body, in hell, in a temporary body, but waiting for the final. And then John 11, verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, just one little quick side note here. Notice that Jesus doesn't respond to Thomas' statement, not at all. And why is that? Because he knows better. He knows that all the disciples are going to flee. They're going to run. And here John tells us that Thomas' nickname was a twin. I didn't know this until I studied this. It was interesting. It says that church tradition says he was called the twin because Thomas closely resembled Jesus, which put him at special risk when they would come looking for Jesus. Additionally, the commentator Dodds says, quote, Thomas is the pessimist among the disciples and now take the gloomy and as it proved the correct view of the result of this return to Judea. But his affectionate loyalty forbids the thought of allowing Jesus to go alone. And then verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now, is there a reason why Jesus waited four days? Why didn't he come after two, after three? Well, there is a reason why four is significant, because there was a well-known Jewish belief attested from accounts that go back to 200 AD that the soul, this is what the Jews taught, that the soul of a dead person remained in the vicinity of the dead person, hoping to re-enter the body for up to three days. So John wants his Jewish leaders who are steeped in this tradition to know that Lazarus was beyond the three days, beyond the possibility of being resuscitated. We also know that formal mourning lasted for seven days, starting immediately on the day of burial, which took place the same day as the day of death. They don't embalm, so they bury the same day as death. So remember, the mourning was seven days. Jesus comes after four. The crowds are still there. And verse 38 says that Lazarus was buried in a typical rock-cut rolling stone tomb, as remain even today strewn up and down the slopes of the Kidron Valley and beyond. Thanks for joining us today for Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller. 
Hear these studies from the Gospel of John again at ccleb.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel Lebanon. If you'd rather have a CD copy, call 717-273-5633. If you find these studies helpful to your walk with Christ, we'd like to know. It'd be so encouraging to Pastor Tom and all of us at Study the Word. Give us a call at 717-273-5633 or write to Study the Word, 740 Willow Street, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, 17046. You can also email us through the website at ccleb.com. Study the Word is made possible through the support of our listeners. Large or small, your gifts help to make these programs possible on stations all across the nation. So thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. You can give online at ccleb.com or call 717-273-5633. We hope you'll visit us sometime here at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. For our service times and more information, go online to ccleb.com. Be sure to introduce yourself after service as a radio listener. That would put a smile on our face. You can also watch our live stream there at ccleb.com or on our YouTube channel at Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. Study the Word with Pastor Tom Keller is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Lebanon. May God richly bless you as you study the Word. Come back next time when we'll pick up where we left off in John's Gospel as we continue to study the Word. (music) 